Uh, in April of this year, Sue and I are going to take another group from Christ Community Church to Israel. And among the many uh, sites that we're going to tour, there are two waterworks, two bodies of, of water that we're going to make sure that we stop and see. One of them is the Jordan River and the other is the Dead Sea. Now, these two bodies of water are vastly different. Okay, the Jordan River draws water from the north part of the country, and it gets it from a number of tributaries that are fed by rain and by snow melt from the mountains and underground springs. And it takes all this water it gets and it channels it 223 miles downstream all the way where it dumps it into the Dead Sea. Uh, and you've read about the Jordan River in the Bible. This is the river that the ancient Israelites had to cross to enter the Promised Land. Uh, this is the river where hundreds of years later, uh, Jesus' ministry was inaugurated when he was baptized in the Jordan River. Uh, the Jordan River today is the second most important uh, supplier of water for the nation. In fact, not too long ago, Israel fought, fought a war with Syria over the water rights to the Jordan River. It's a very important source of water. Now, the Dead Sea, in contrast to the life-giving Jordan River, the Dead Sea is dead. And the reason it's dead is because it takes water from the Jordan River flowing in from the north, but there's no outlet. There's no, nowhere for the water to go, so it stays there. The Dead Sea hoards its water. It keeps it to itself. And the water is 10 times as salty as the water in an ocean. And so nothing can live in it. No plants can live in it. No animals can live in it. Uh, I'll never forget the first time I saw the Dead Sea uh, because it looked like a recreational lake you'd see in the United States. Nine, nine miles by 31 miles. Uh, but nobody's recreating on it. There are no sailboats, no jet skis skimming across the top of it. No fishermen trolling for a catch in its waters. No vacation homes dotted along the, the shoreline. There is nothing, nothing. It's dead. Now, the reason I draw the contrast between the Jordan River and the Dead Sea, I want you to lock onto this today. Okay, the Jordan River that takes water it receives and flows it downstream versus the Dead Sea that takes water and hoards it is because I want to pose a challenge to you today. Would you rather be a Jordan River person or a Dead Sea person? Okay, would you rather be a Jordan River person or a Dead Sea person? Now, last week we began a four-week series called Overflow, Blessings That Can't Be Contained. And for several weeks, we're going to look at four kinds of blessings that God has poured, he has poured into every one of our lives. And if we'll allow those blessings to overflow into the lives of other people, we will be Jordan River people. If we keep those blessings to ourselves, we will be Dead Sea people. So what kind of a person do you want to be? Now, if you brought a Bible with you, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, okay? That's our text for today in your New Testament. While you're turning, let me recap where we've been. Uh, starting the series last weekend, we talked about the blessing of abilities. Okay, God has given every one of us an abundance of abilities, spiritual gifts, talents, and so on. Remember the acronym SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E. Okay, God has given you an, a unique shape. The S stands for spiritual gifts. The H stands for heart. Uh, if you're a Christ follower, he's given you a heart for a certain kind of people. 
Okay, A stands for abilities, kind of natural talents. P stands for personality traits. E stands for experiences. You put it all together and God wants you to use this to overflow into the lives of others, to serve other people, especially to build up the body of Christ, the church. And I hope, I hope you're in one of our 300 plus community groups, because if you are, those groups are all tracking with this series. And last week, what you did in your group is the group helped every group member discover their shape and how God wants to use you. And so if you're not in a group, there's still time to get involved in one as we go through this, this overflow series. Now, today we're going to move on to a new topic, a different kind of blessing that God pours into, into our lives. And my guess is that most of us have, have never given much thought to how God wants this particular blessing to overflow from our lives and spill over into the lives of other people. The blessing we're talking about today is comfort. Comfort. All of us face difficult times, but God promises to comfort us in our troubles. And then once we've experienced that comfort, the question is, will, will we be Jordan River people who channel that comfort into the lives of others, or will we be Dead Sea people who keep that comfort to ourselves? So there are three aspects of comfort overflow that we're gonna look at in 2 Corinthians 1. If you haven't taken the outline from your program, I encourage you to do that and follow that, that as we go through 2 Corinthians 1. First aspect of comfort overflow is this. I wanna talk about the troubles of life. Okay, the tr we, we all experience the troubles of life. And when I say that, I'm not, you know, I'm not just talking about an occasional bad day. Every one of us has a bad day from time to time. But I'm, you know, I'm talking about uh, really bad troubles. Okay, not, not like what Taylor Parker faced recently. I came across him in the news. He lives in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, it was an amusing story. Uh, Taylor was fleeing the scene of a crime recently. He was driving away in his car and the police were giving him chase. And he suddenly realized that if he got caught, he'd be in really big trouble because there was a loaded shotgun on the seat next to him. So he decided to lose the shotgun, to ditch it. He rolled down his window and he threw the shotgun out. Now, unfortunately for Taylor, when the shotgun hit the ground, it fired off and blew a hole in his tire. <laughs> you cannot make this stuff up, right? Gotta follow the news. And so he was caught, he was apprehended, arrested. Not a good day for Taylor Parker. But that's not what we're talking about in 2 Corinthians 1, the occasional bad day. We're, we're talking about real troubles. And, and so I'm going to read the entire text for today, beginning at verse 3, reading all the way through verse 11. If you got your own Bible, and this is why you bring your own Bible, so you can mark it up, I want to ask you to circle every word or expression that refers to personal hardship. Okay, and see how many times Paul brings this concept up. So I'll, I'll put an emphasis on those words and expressions so you'll know what to circle. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. There's your first one. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same suffering we suffer. 
And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Now, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers, and then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, did you circle all the words that have to do with personal hardship? Okay, three times the word trouble is used. Uh, four times we came across suffer or suffering. One time each for distressed, great pressure, despaired of life, sentence of death, deadly peril. The, the, the apostle Paul had a tough life. In fact, it was so tough that the people he was writing to in the thriving city of Corinth, Christ followers in Corinth, they tended to look down their nose at the Apostle Paul. They were kind of embarrassed by Paul. Say, why embarrassed? Well, here was Paul, the undisputed leader of their movement, the Christian movement, and yet he was not exactly a poster child for the good life, right? So the the, the Corinthians, they wanted a leader who would exude charm and success, who could tell stories of God's glorious power at work in his life. And instead, Paul told stories about suffering and pain and troubles he faced. Later on in this epistle, chapter 11, Paul makes a long list of these sufferings he's gone through. Let me just read to you this list because it's kind of humorous. It's so over the top what Paul had to endure. You could jot down the reference, look it up yourself sometime. This is chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. Paul says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. By the way, they thought 40 lashes would kill you, so they only gave you 39 to keep you alive. All right, 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. He was knocked out on that occasion. They thought he was dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Wow. The Corinthians read this and they must have thought it sucks to be Paul. Yeah. But but Paul faced more troubles than most of us will ever see in our lifetime. However... Troubles do come to all of us, don't they? I mean, not even Christ followers get a pass. Not even Christ followers are are, are sheltered from difficult times. Sometimes our troubles are the result of adverse circumstances. Uh, You know, the loss of a job or an automobile accident, uh, a sump pump that doesn't work and the basement floods. 
adverse circumstances. Sometimes our troubles are brought on by other people, an unfaithful spouse or an abusive boss or a two-faced friend. Sometimes our troubles are things we do to ourselves, our, our poor health because of bad eating habits or financial debt because of overspending, failed classes from not having studied. And sometimes, now listen to this, Christ followers, sometimes our troubles are because we're just trying to follow Jesus in a fallen world. Sometimes the reward for following Jesus in this world is multiplied troubles. Just ask the Apostle Paul whose troubles that are alluded, alluded to here in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, they were the result of preaching Jesus in a hostile world. So please understand, following Jesus doesn't make life easier. Sometimes it makes life more difficult. Sometimes choosing to follow Jesus makes life more difficult. Just ask the Christ follower who works all day, comes home dead tired, but instead of sitting in the recliner watching Netflix, she travels over to church and mentors middle school students at Genesis ministry all evening. Sometimes following Jesus creates greater difficulty in our lives. Just, just ask the guy who loses a big sale because he's more honest about the costs than his competitors because he's a Christ follower. You know, j just ask the, the, the Christ follower who dares to voice opposition to abortion on demand or gay marriage or discrimination in the workplace. Just, just ask the Christ follower who gets dumped by her boyfriend because she won't sleep with him. Just ask the Christ follower who is repulsed by family and friends because he wants to share Jesus with them. Just ask the Christ follower who gives the money she could have spent on a new sofa in her living room to some friends who are going on a go team to Nicaragua. Just ask the Christ-following high school student who sits alone on the school bus because all his buddies are looking at porn on their cell phones. See, following Jesus doesn't make life more easy. Oftentimes, it makes life more difficult. Oftentimes, it makes life more difficult. The troubles of life, they're inevitable. You know, they result from adverse circumstances, from people who do us wrong, from foolish choices on our part, and sometimes from faithfully following Jesus. So that brings us to number two, the second aspect of comfort. It has to do with the God of compassion. The God of compassion. Now, in the ancient Greek culture of Paul's day, they had a pantheon of gods, but these gods were quite unconcerned with human troubles. A uh, first century philosopher by the name of Pliny the Elder, he wrote these words. He wrote, a supreme being, whatever it may be, that pays heed to human affairs is a ridiculous notion. See, Pliny says there, there's no such thing as a God who gives a rip about people. Now, in contrast with his view, the God of the Bible, Paul's God cares deeply about people. He is a loving heavenly father. King David writes in Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, that as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we're formed, and he remembers that we're dust. See, God knows our frailty. He knows our, our struggles. And as a compassionate God, a compassionate God, he wants to comfort us in our troubles. The, the word comfort 
is one of the Apostle Paul's favorite words in this New Testament epistle of 2 Corinthians. It pops up 29 times. Ten times in the passage we're looking at today. Comfort, 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 comfort. Now, when you think about comfort, okay, comfort in the midst of trials, uh, what sort of picture does that paint on the screen of your imagination? Okay, maybe you think about reclining in your lazy boy. You know, that's comfort. Or uh, maybe you think about comfort food, a bowl of your mom's chicken noodle soup or a pan of brownies. Or maybe comfort for you, you're thinking about just getting home and putting on your headphones and listening to some soothing music. Well, the biblical, the biblical concept of comfort is much edgier than any of the pictures I just painted. One, one Bible scholar notes that the word comfort has gone soft in modern English. It usually connotes in English emotional relief or a sense of well-being or physical ease or freedom from pain and anxiety. But for the Apostle Paul, this scholar writes, listen to this, he says, comfort is not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls the pain, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, mind, and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. God's comfort strengthens our weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. I love that. Now, comfort's a strong word. It describes a robust intervention of God in our lives. Now you say, well, how does, how does God do this? I mean, practically speaking, how does God comfort us in our troubles? Let me give it to you in four words, okay? Four, four ways that God's comfort is manifested toward us, that he, he just pours it out in our lives. First way, presence. God's presence. You know, if you're a Christ follower, when you run into trouble, you should experience an increased sense of God's presence in your life. It's just this sense that God's there. It's like, like he turns up the volume on that. You know, one of the verses I, I, I love to share with people, uh, you know, who tell me that they're going through a time of grief, a time of loss, is Psalm 34, verse 18, w- which says God is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You know, when, when we're going through a time of brokenheartedness, God is especially close to us. Isaiah 43, 1 to 3, another favorite passage of mine. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You're mine. This is a text obviously directed at those who follow Christ. They belong to God. God says, you're you're mine. And so when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, the flame will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God. God's with you. Or what about the promise of Joshua 1 verse 9? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So God comforts us with his presence. Uh, Sue recently got an email from a friend at Christ Community Church uh, whose sister started experiencing the symptoms of early onset Alzheimer's in her 50s. And so this friend wrote to Sue about her sister. Let me read from the email. She's almost no short-term memory left. Eating, dressing, and showering are no longer possible without assistance. Ironically, she was a nurse in neurology. Her husband's a neurologist. But she can no longer write or read very well and struggles with speech. And yet, listen to this, when she prays, 
It's a miracle. Her words flow as she talks to God. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, yes, this sister in the midst of her Alzheimer's experiences, experiences God's presence in her life. And Sue's friend concludes her email by saying, Honestly, Sue, for every person that is yet to believe in Christ or thinks the trial they're, go- they're, going, they're, they're in is going to derail them, I'd love to introduce them to my sister. She would tell them two things. This isn't heaven, and Jesus has changed my life. See, this is somebody who knows in the midst of her struggle with Alzheimer's that God is with her. God comforts us with his presence. Second, God comforts us in our troubles. God comforts us with his purpose, with a sense of purpose, a sense that God is up to something in the midst of this difficult time in my life. Now, I'm not saying that you'll know what that is, what God's purpose is. Oftentimes, we don't. You know, but it's good to know that God is up to something, that God has a purpose, and it's a good purpose. Romans 8, verse 28 says, We know that in all things, God works for the good, for the good of those who love him. So, you know, the the reason this brings comfort, isn't it good to know that that God is up to something rather than thinking that your troubles are are arbitrary, they're random, they're pointless, they're going to destroy you. Now, there's a good God who's working all things for your good. Sometimes that takes the form of him just building character during the hard times because you don't get character in the good times. Character is built in the hard times. Sometimes it's God opening a door of opportunity that only comes through hard times. That door of opportunity is stuck shut and God's got to kick it open. You know, a story I've told you many times in the past, but I I love to recite it. Uh, Some years before the start of Christ Community Church, 30-some years ago, uh, my mom and dad were living in the home I grew up in. They had lived in that home for uh, several decades And uh, they felt that God wanted them to move, to uproot, and uh, move out to God-forsaken St. Charles, Illinois, where where Dad felt led to start a home construction business. And uh, no sooner had they moved and relocated to St. Charles in the middle of nowhere when the housing market totally collapsed, and Dad eventually had to sell his business. What is God's purpose in uprooting people and moving them and then the business collapse? Well, God's purpose is that they started a little Bible study out of which sprang Christ Community Church. Isn't that cool? The reason you're here today, the reason you're listening, yeah, you're, you're at one of our campuses. You know, you're ministered to by this church because somebody's business failed. That's why you're here. God's got his purposes. One of the other ways that God comforts us, not only through a sense of purpose, but with his power, with his power. Now go back to 2 Corinthians 1. Let me reread verse 9 to you. Paul says, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul says, I was certain I was going to die. And God reminded me, well, that's okay, Paul, because I could raise the dead. You ever felt that way going through difficult times? I'm going to die. God says, good, you're, you're right where you need to be because now you're going to learn to rely on me instead of your own power. You know, when you stop and think about it, this is how we, 
We all came to Christ, right? We came to the realization that we were powerless. For, for some of us, it was quite a, a distinct impression left on us. The wheels were coming off our marriage at the time, or we were struggling with an addiction, or we felt so lonely and so depressed, we felt like taking our lives, and there was nothing we could do. We felt powerless in the midst of it until some friend shared with us the good news that there's a power outside of yourself called Jesus Christ, and you could come to know him personally, and you surrendered to him. In fact, even if you don't have a story like that, the truth of the matter is nobody comes to Jesus and surrenders to Jesus without recognizing their own powerlessness, their powerlessness, because we face this thing called sin, and the penalty for sin, the Bible says, is death. We go our own way instead of God's way, every one of us, and when you disconnect from God, the giver of life, you're destined to die. That's in the future for every one of us. You are powerless to change that. But there is one who came to earth on your behalf, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who gave his life on a cross. He took the death you deserve to die so he, he could be raised from the dead by the power of God and now offer you forgiveness and life everlasting. The moment you put your trust in him, the minute you surrender to him, he comes to live on the inside and this, this new life begins that will continue into eternity. See, God's power God's power at work in us in the midst of difficult circumstances. By the way, later on in this uh, epistle of 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about, about the power that he experienced in the midst of weakness in his life because of what he called a thorn in the flesh. Scholars feel it was probably some physical infirmity. And Paul says, I prayed about this repeatedly. And you know what God said to me? He didn't take away this problem, this trouble. You know what God said? God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made manifest in your weakness. You know, he caps it off. This is 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And this is why for Christ's sake, listen to this, he says, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, in God's power. So you, you welcome your troubles because you know in the midst of, of them, they're going to cause you to rely upon God. You're going to experience his power at work in your life. You get it? God. God's power. Let me give you one last resource with which God comforts us. It's his people, his people. Time and again in the New Testament epistles written by the Apostle Paul, you'll find him referring to his friends by name. Uh, in, in fact, if you ever made a list of this, it would be quite a long list. People with names like Timothy and Epaphroditus and Aquila and Priscilla and on and on. People who came alongside Paul in times of crisis and comforted him. See, one of the bonuses of surrendering our lives to Jesus as Savior and King, and by the way, if you've never done that, you could do that today. Surrender to Christ, and one of the bonuses is not just the power I've been talking about, but the people that God brings into your life. When you surrender to Jesus, he makes you a member of his family. You immediately get brothers and sisters. You get people who will walk alongside of you during difficult times, people who will have your back. Uh, my, my nephew, Chad, I am so proud of this guy. Young man, he plays trumpet with the Pittsburgh Symphony. 
which means he's a world-class musician. I mean, it's harder to play in the symphony of a, a major city like this than it is to make an NBA team. So he's extraordinarily talented. Married to a, a gal named Alyssa. They've got a couple of young children, a third one on the way. Little uh, baby Isaiah is still in the womb, but due to be born on Tuesday. She's going to be induced on Tuesday. But when Isaiah is born, if he's born alive, he'll live less than a couple of hours. They've got this rare, Alyssa's got this rare, deadly disease the baby does. It's been a obviously a source of immense grief over the last several months. And I don't know that they would have made it through without the comfort God has brought into their lives through the people God surrounded them with. They belong to a really great church in Pittsburgh. They're part of an amazing community group. In fact, the ladies in the community group recently threw a baby shower for this baby they know is going to be born and die right away for little Isaiah. Even the local funeral uh, owner, funeral service owner, is a, is a Christ father. He loves Jesus. And he's a, a real pro-life guy who hates to see the death of any child. And so he has said to them, you know, come to me. The casket is free. My services are free. The gravesite. I'll supply whatever you need. You know, God's got people that he can surround us with when we're going through difficult times. I mean, this is basically what our care night on Tuesday is all about. We do care night in groups. Okay, so if you go to care night, uh, it may be to join a group of people who are going through grief over a loss in their lives. It may be to join a group of people who are struggling to break an addiction. It may be a group of people who are weathering the storm of divorce. We do it in groups because this is one of the blessings of God with which he comforts us. He pours comfort into our lives through people, through people. Third point, third aspect of this overflow of comfort. Now we're going to turn the corner, talk about the sharing of encouragement. What do we do with all this comfort God's given us? Okay, the original Greek word that gets translated repeatedly as comfort in 2 Corinthians can also be translated as encourage or encouragement. So God wants to encourage us with his comfort. And I want you to see in today's text that God doesn't give us just a wee little dose of comfort and encouragement when we're struggling with life. God pours. God pours pours it into our life. Remember, the series is called what? Call it out. The series is called Overflow. Overflow. Well, look at the overflow described in verse 5 by the words abundantly and abounds. Again, this is where you mark up your Bible, okay? Verse 5. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Okay, our troubles overflowing into your life. Paul says, well, so is God's comfort. Bible scholars tell us that the word Paul uses here when he says that our comfort abounds through Christ, the word he uses, abounds, is a word from the business world of Paul's day. It referred to excessive surplus or profits. Excessive surplus or profits. So yes, there are times in our lives where the, the, the ledger of our life, the troubles side, has got a lot of entries in it, deficits. But Paul says the, the, the positive, the asset side, the God's comfort side is, is so you know, big and long and it just obliterates the deficits. 
all of these assets that you get in Christ. Now the question, the question for, for us is, is why, why does God pour so much comfort into our lives when we go through troubles? And by the way, if you say, well, I don't experience excessive comfort, I want to tell you it's available. I don't know why you're not tapping into it, but it's there. So why does God do it so excessively? Is it just to show off? Or is it just because he loves you so much and cares for you, he doesn't want to give you just a trickle of comfort, he wants to, he wants to pour it into your life? I think there's something more here. I think it's because God wants the comfort he gives you. to. He expects it to overflow from your life and to spill into the lives of other troubled people. That's why he gives you so much. You know, that's what you see in verse 4. Go back to verse 4. Paul says, the God of all comfort comforts us in all our troubles so that... Okay, why does God comfort us in all our troubles? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God wants to see overflow, friends. So how, how do we do that? How do we overflow the comfort God has given us into the lives who need this comfort? Let me give it to you briefly. Four ways. First is words. With our words. And I'm not talking about cavalier cliches, okay? Uh, troubled people don't need to hear one more zippy one-liner from us. Like, you know, I'm sure you're going to get a new job, or there are plenty of fish in the sea, or your loved one is in a better place, or that algebra test you just flunked, you're not going to need algebra the rest of your life anyway. Don't say stupid stuff like that, okay? When, when I say words, I'm talking about sensitive, empathetic, encouraging words. Maybe they're the lyrics of a comforting Christian song. Maybe they're the, the promise, a promise from God's word. Maybe they're the affirmation of your friendship, the simple, I'm going to be there. I got your back, bro. Maybe it's an invitation. And we're three weeks away from our next Inspiring Stories weekend. We do this three times a year. You've got people in your life right now who are going through troubles and they need a little hope, need a little inspiration. One of the simple ways you could do it is by invite, use your words and invite them to come with you three weeks from now. You know, you, you can share these words by a phone call. You can communicate them in an email, a text, a personal conversation over a cup of coffee or a meal. You buy them in a handwritten card. Who do you know that's going through troubles? You have been so blessed by God with comfort in your, your times of trouble. Are you going to overflow into their lives? Second way, prayer. L look at the two closing verses of today's text. Pick it up in the, the middle of verse 10. Okay, middle of 10, Paul says, on him, on Christ, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. And then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Want to comfort other people who are going through troubled times? Try prayer. Sue and I went out to a, a movie last week. And uh, before the movie began, I dutifully silenced my phone, stuck it in my pocket. I left my vibrator on. And uh, in the middle of the movie, my phone you know, buzzes a little bit. But I'm going to ignore it because I don't want to pull my phone out and be disdained by other moviegoers. And so uh, two minutes later, it buzzes again. Two minutes later, it buzzes again. Two minutes later, it buzzes again. And I, I, I managed to ignore it the entire movie, though I was getting a rear-end massage by the time I was done. <laughs> 
And I got out and I looked at, you know, who is trying to get a hold of me? Well, I saw what it was. It was a, a text begun by one of the guys in my men's community group. And he said, hey, guys, I need prayer. You know, my daughter has just been diagnosed with a severe infection. It's, you know, this thing is nothing to be messed with, they said. It's very dangerous. And immediately, one of the brothers in the group said, I'm on it. And another guy texts and says, I'm praying already. And another guy texts and says, I've got your back. And on and on it goes. You know, there's, there's nothing like praying for people who are going through troubles. I love to pray for people in troubles because I've been on the receiving end of all that prayer myself when I've gone through difficult times. So I want it to overflow into the lives of others. Are you praying for people in trouble? Are you praying with people in trouble? You say, well, I couldn't do that because then I'd have to pray out loud and I don't pray out loud. Get over it, okay? Get started praying out loud if you're not an out loud prayer. And let me say to those of you who are middle school and high school students, if you're thinking this is something you'll eventually grow into when you're a little older, you'll pray for, start praying for other people now, for the buds in your house group who are going through, through struggles. Pray, you wanna do something really radical, students? Okay, the next time you hear from mom or dad, they had a bad day at work or they're struggling to make ends meet with the bills, or just look at them and say, hey, mom, can I pray for you? Dad, can I pray for you? You'll knock them off their feet. You might even get a raise in your allowance. You know, <laughs> Here's a third thing you could do. Example. Example. See, when we weather our troubles by leaning into God and depending on him, we become role models who need to do the same thing in their troubles. See, we just need more role models out there. That's what Paul's doing in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. What he's saying, in effect, is here's how I'm weathering my storm. I hope you learn something. I hope you go to school on me. Now, a few, a few weeks ago, I was going through a, a, a crisis, a hardship, and I was whining about it to God. And then a couple days later, in a time of prayer, uh, I like once a week, I like to go onto the website of Voice of the Martyrs. It's an organization that supports persecuted Christ followers around the world. Uh, it's real easy to find their website. Go to I Commit to Pray, ICommitToPray.com. And every week they post three new prayer requests, hot off the press, of Christ followers being persecuted for their faith. So I read this story about three Vietnamese families who got kicked out of their village because they had surrendered their lives to Jesus. And the villagers said, deny Christ. And they said, no way, we're going to cling to Christ. And so they got kicked out of the village and they're living in the jungle under a tarp. And suddenly, oh my goodness, did God put my life in perspective. My whining when these believe they're living under a tarp to follow Jesus. You know, the example of others. What will your example, will you go through hard times in such a way that people who are going to school on you will say, that's how I want to do it when I go through tough times. And by the way, if you've gone through some of the experiences that people who come to Care Night are currently in, why don't you consider volunteering at Care Night and saying, hey, I've been through that trial and come out the other side. I think I'll serve in this way. Example. Lastly, ministry. Uh, at Christ Community Church, we work with a bunch of ministry partners in our surrounding community. We work with homeless shelters and crisis pregnancy centers and jails and services that uh, provide temporary foster care, nursing homes, you name it. So if you have been comforted and encouraged by God in your troubles, the, these ministries represent people who could sure use 
some of your overflow. You, you stop and think about all, all the good things you've received from God in the midst of your life crises. There, there are people who are in desperate need of your overflow. So how do you find out about these opportunities? Last week I told you about a brand new website called Simply Serve. Okay, go to ccclife.org slash simply serve. And while I reiterate this today, I want to ask our campus pastors to get ready to close in prayer in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to come up and do that. But Simply Serve will tell you about two avenues of serving. Uh, You could go down the avenue of serving within our church body, and I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll find some place to serve the body of Christ. If this is your home church, roll up your sleeves. Our ministry fair after the service today in each of our lobbies, we're continuing our ministry fair for several weeks so you could find a place to serve or you could go to Simply Serve and learn about in-church opportunities. But there's another avenue. Has to do with our community impact partners. We also serve as a church through these partners. Okay, and you could learn about the jails and the crisis pregnancy centers and the homeless shelters and and whatever. You could serve on your own. You could serve with your family. You could serve with your community group. It used to be, the way we approach this, we used to call it Second Saturday. So if you want to serve desperately needy people, come out the second Saturday of every month. And then we started hearing from a lot of people, I'd love to do this, but Saturday mornings don't work out for me. And so we've changed it out. We have opportunities all week long, every week, opportunities for you or your family or your community group to participate. Will you? You know, let let, let me say that if you don't do this soon, if you don't do your first serve soon, you'll probably forget about it. So consider this week going on Simply Serve, checking something out and overflowing the comfort God's given you into the lives of desperately needy people. Now I'm going to ask you across our four campuses, would you just stand for a word of closing prayer?